Hello, everybody. This is Andrew Gamison with the Speaking for Him podcast. I'm so grateful that you are joining me again this week. I'm excited because today I'm going to begin reviewing The Chosen Season 2. I think it was last summer when I reviewed the first season, and it was just such a joy to be able to go through those episode by episode with you. So I am back again for Season 2, and I'm extremely excited to have that opportunity uh, but before we get into that, I would like to talk to you about what is going on. Well, the fight for liberty never takes a vacation. And the first story that I have for you today deals with the issue of personal liberty and how to exercise it in the culture at large. And in particular, the thing that sticks out to me about this story is that it happened on the campus of USC. Welcome back to Fox and Friends. A University of Southern California professor is refusing to back down after students demanded he remove a Blue Lives Matter flag from outside his office. Professor James Moore teaches statistics at USC, and he joins us now. Professor, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Um, let's get right into it. Do you think that you would be facing this kind of pressure if you had hung a BLM flag outside of your office? I can't imagine that I would. I, I think this is, uh, I don't think they like the message. So you are a statistics professor, and your background is part of the reason why you refuse to take this flag down. So tell me, what does statistics tell you about um, black citizens and their threat from police officers? Well, I think that um, I'm a little bit unhappy with, I don't, I don't want to call it a narrative because that, that I think dignifies it a bit, but uh, the premise, uh, the story that um, black folks are at particular risk from police violence, um, that's not accurate. Um, I think it's an active, I'll, go, I'll, I'll call it what I think it is, I think it's a lie. And I'm, I wanted to uh, send a, a counter message, I wanted to make the point that uh, in fact uh, black lives benefit rather strongly, disproportionately from the activities of police, that uh, we cannot diminish police violence by diminishing policing, that that's nonsense, uh, that black lives are at greatest risk uh, from reduced police service, that uh, if we're serious about protecting everybody, if all lives matter and the black lives in particular matter, yeah. then we need to make sure that they're secure. So you have students that want you to take down the flag. You had an administrator ask you to take down the flag. I'm just curious, what's it like to be you at USC right now? I feel a little bit of a responsibility right now. Um, I, am, I wanted to communicate to progressively oriented students that there's a competing point of view. They live in a, something of a progressive bubble on a college campus. USC is pretty representative in that respect. And mm -hmm. I wanted to communicate to conservative students, of which there are many, that in fact they're entitled to their voice, uh, that the messages they hear are really not representative of society at large. They get uh, constant messaging from uh, the senior leadership of the institution, from the leadership of their schools, from the rank and file faculty, that 
the world is a progressive place and the progress progressive point of view is the one that we should buy into yeah. and they suspect otherwise and I wanted to alert them to the fact that they're entitled to those suspicions. Yeah. So to be me right now is just to feel a little responsibility to my students. All right. We got a statement from USC. They said the university does not have a policy that limits the display of materials, um, that limits the display of materials in spaces like this, though we are looking at whether it is needed. Professor Moore, you're doing a lot to bring about intellectual diversity on campus, and we thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Of course. Okay, so there's just a couple things that I want to mention about this story. First of all, as I said on the outset of discussing it, it happened at USC, which is in California, which has long been known as one of the most liberal states in the union. Hawaii's out there too, but Hawaii doesn't make the news that California does. California seems to always be a stride or three ahead of every other state as far as being liberal, um, with the possible exception of maybe New York. Those two states are definite outliers. And there's a few other uh, liberal states in there, but these are the ones that stick out. So it was refreshing to hear from a professor at USC who is holding strong to his belief that we can respect and honor the police and not get the statistics out of whack. The reality is that there are bad police officers. There are bad things that happen to people because of the police, but it doesn't represent the police as a whole. And to eliminate the police is not to address the problem. I've said this on many occasions on this podcast. The culture in which we now live is a culture that says if I eliminate what's annoying me or what I don't agree with, the problem goes away. But the problem does not go away because we choose not to address it or because we choose to ignore it. The problem stays and other problems result. So I applaud this professor for standing up for the rights of his students and for um, the honor of our police officers who of whom the vast majority uh, leave their homes every day with one goal in mind, and that is to protect us and to keep us safe. Um, so I applaud that. The second thing I wanted to point out about this story is notice that USC's response was, we have no policy against this, but we are discussing whether a policy is needed. Consider that for a second. We are in a place in our U.S. culture where it's not a matter of disobeying rules so much as it is that people create rules so that the person they disagree with will be found guilty of disobeying them. I brought up a few weeks ago the, a story about a farmer who was uh, selling produce at a farmer's market. And he happened to also have a side business where he rented out his farm for weddings. Uh, being a staunch Catholic and a staunch believer in the definition that Jesus gave for marriage, which is one man, one woman for a lifetime, he refused to allow gay couples to use 
his facility for their weddings. And so he was barred from the farmer's market. They said there was no rule for the people in the farmer's market about what they could do on the side or their personal beliefs. His belief in marriage has nothing to do with selling fresh vegetables. And yet, in the story that I shared, it was pointed out that they came up with a rule that would bar him from being there for violating the rule that they came up with because they knew that he would violate it. This reminds me of the Old Testament story of Daniel. Uh, Daniel was a uh, young boy when he was brought over to Babylon as a servant to the king, and he showed himself to be faithful to that task, which that alone is amazing, that he was able to be faithful to the task of being a wise man in Babylon and serving the king without compromising his integrity. As a matter of fact, every time he stood up for his integrity and for what he believed was right, God advanced him in this heathen kingdom. Do you ever stop to think about that? Every time he had an opportunity to compromise his beliefs and did not, God rewarded him with further responsibility in the kingdom to the point that he was the head wise men and all these wise men that were reporting to him were so envious of his power and authority that they looked for whatever they could do to destroy his reputation. And when they found nothing, they created a rule that you had to pray only to the king for 30 days that they knew Daniel would not Oblige. They knew that he wouldn't obey this rule. Why? Because they knew as a creature of godly habit that he would go and that he would pray three times a day with the window open in an upper chamber. Now, no one would have faulted Daniel if he said, I'm just going to go into my room, turn off the lights, close all the windows and pray in secret and ask God to deliver me. But that wasn't Daniel's way. He continued to do exactly what he had done before this edict. And he was thrown into the lion's den and then, of course, miraculously delivered. That is a great story and a great encouragement for us as we are navigating the waters of this culture. Now, we may not face a den of lions, but we're definitely facing the animosity of those who disagree with us. And another interesting thing about this story, and then we'll move on, but I really like the the laid-back attitude of this professor. It's not like he's like, I'm going to stick it to everyone here at USC. He's just saying, let's use logic, let's use facts, let's show people that you can have an opposing point of view. And really, that's what it comes down to. We're not allowed to have discourse in this country. We're not allowed to have opposing point of views. Whenever there's something that could be discussed and we could learn from one another, that thing that should be discussed is in fact eliminated, thus avoiding the need for discussion. So once again, things that we disagree with do not need to be eliminated. They need to be able to be discussed in the marketplace and to 
have people with disagreeing viewpoints that still have enough respect for each other to say agree to disagree. And we've lost that largely in our culture, and we need to do what we can to get it back. All right, well, the next thing I want to share with you is more lighthearted. Uh, several years ago, there was a young man that received a text from his quote-unquote grandmother saying, are you coming to Thanksgiving and what are you bringing? Or something along those lines. And this was the result. The internet fell in love with Wanda Dench and Jamal Hinton in 2016 when Wanda meant to invite her grandson to Thanksgiving, but accidentally texted Jamal instead. Jamal, who was 17 at the time, accepted her invitation anyway, and they became best friends, reuniting for the holiday every year since. But this year is different with the ongoing pandemic and the death of Wanda's husband, Lonnie, from coronavirus back in April. But Wanda, Jamal, and his girlfriend, Michaela, still found a way to continue their tradition, sharing a pre-Thanksgiving dinner together on Friday. In a series of photos shared by Arizona's family reporter, Brianna Whitney, we even got to see how they honored Lonnie during the meal, with a place setting all of his own at the head of the table. As Wanda told ABC News in 2019, family is more than blood. It's the people you want to be with. I really find stories like this fascinating. There was another story about a young lady who got a call from an older lady and the older lady called the wrong number and they struck up a friendship that continues I believe to this day and this particular story is I think they're going into their sixth Thanksgiving this year of getting together um, as adopted family and it all came from having the wrong number in a text chain about Thanksgiving Um, and I just I love that because we really need to be about loving other people And especially in this day and age when society would tell us to stay apart from one another. I was just thinking earlier today about how we tend to be really independent. There's a lot of memes that go around Facebook about how you shouldn't rely on other people and you need to create your own happiness. You need to learn to be happy alone. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. But I think we've come to a place in our culture where it's actually a really negative thing because we don't want to rely on each other. We don't want to become caring toward one another because that means we're putting ourselves out there. That means we're being vulnerable. That means we're taking the opportunity that might break our hearts. But the reality is kind of like a discussion I've had not too long ago on this podcast about how failure breeds success If you get to the end of your life and you've never failed, then you don't realize what it means to have success. The greatest succeeders in history have lists of failures in their past. And so if you're failing and and learning from each failure, then you're probably going to be an ultimate success. But if you get to the end of your life and you can say, I've never failed or I've never or I've very rarely failed, then basically you're probably going to recount your life and say, I didn't accomplish much. And I feel the same way about relationships. Like I said, we've become an individualistic society. Our culture pushes it on us. Our culture says um, it's not cool to depend on one another. And 
So they push us away from that and they say, just make yourself happy. Just be your own uh, source of happiness and encouragement. And that's just not the way uh, God meant things to be. The Bible says that God put the solitary in families. And whether this was intentional or not, uh, it's evident that the two people in this story, the grandma and Jamal, they needed each other. And so God orchestrated it for them to come together and to be friends. And I'm sure it's been a, a blessing to her as she lost her husband from COVID last year. So I just wanted to share that story of encouragement with you. And I would like to ask you just to think about as we approach the holidays, especially, but we really should be thinking about this all year long is how can I encourage the people around me? And are there people that are my friends that have been there for me like family that I need to tell them, Hey, I love you. I care about you. Um, there was another meme that I saw on Facebook that said, tell your friends that you love them, uh, be known for that and make it weird because we're not real good as a human race, especially again in the Western culture at showing people and telling people how much we care about them. As a matter of fact, there was an old Steve and Annie Chapman song uh, that Steve Chapman was the soloist on. And he said, love was spoken though daddy rarely used the words and it talked about all the things that the uh, all the things that dads do to show love for their kids and that is important but i still remember listening to that song as a kid and my dad said you know that song is pretty good but it gets wrong the fact that you need to hear i love you and my dad was always really good at telling me and still is at telling me that he loved me and so for me, letting the people that I care the most about in my life know that I care about them very much has never been extremely difficult for me. Um, I think sometimes people find it hard to believe because love gets thrown around willy-nilly, but I can assure you that if I tell you that I love you, I mean it. And so I just think that something that we need to um, be more in the practice of and get used to it. We are called as Christians to live counterculturally, and so we need to not be afraid of what culture thinks about the way that we're living. What we need to do is look at the Word of God and have the way we're living line up with that. All right, well, as we plunge into our main segment today, uh, I just want to again tell you how excited I am to be reviewing the episodes of The Chosen. Um, so there's eight episodes, so we'll we'll have uh, one episode of the podcast per episode of The Chosen Season 2, and I'm, like I said, really excited to review these. If any of you out there have watched The Chosen Season 2, please let me know if you would like to come on to the podcast to discuss it. We can do a Zoom call and discuss it together, and I would much rather do these reviews as discussions if the opportunity presents itself. So please think about that. Uh, I think it will be 
very beneficial to have a back and forth about this. If you have any questions or comments about the chosen season two, episode one, you may stick those into my inbox at Andrew at speaking for him.com. That's Andrew at speaking the number for him.com. Very excited to hear your feedback as we go forward. And also one of the really cool things about reviewing these episodes is that you can literally, as soon as you listen to this episode, go and download the chosen app and watch these episodes for free. A lot of times when I review something, it's not that accessible. You have to have the right streaming service or you have to buy the DVD. But in this case, you can simply download the chosen app on any of your technology and you can watch the chosen seasons one and two in the app right now. And that is very exciting to me. If you haven't watched the chosen at all, what are you waiting for? Um, But you can start with season one and watch all the way through to season two. One final word about the chosen uh, before I dig into the review And that is that the Chosen Christmas special, they did one last year, which is on the app, and they're doing one again this year, and this year they're going to theaters with it, and what the Chosen Christmas special is going to be is a bunch of singers doing a concert on the set of The Chosen, but also they're debuting an individual episode of The Chosen specifically for Christmas time. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to see it in theaters. I will definitely review it for you when it comes out on the app. Um, But there's supposed to be additional footage that will not be shown on the app release. That was, I guess, one of the requests that um, Fathom Events, who's sponsoring uh, this opportunity for The Chosen requested, was that they would have special content that would only be available in the theatrical release. Now, originally, they were going to have a two-day release on, I believe, December 2nd and 3rd. Um, But they were so overwhelmed with the response that last I knew, they were going to be in theaters from December 1st through the 9th. Have nine days in theaters. So there should be plenty of opportunities to see the film. Who knows, they may have added even more showings now because people are so excited about this. So if you want to get out to theaters to support something worthwhile, I'd encourage you to take the time to go see the Chosen Christmas special and enjoy this special episode and maybe introduce someone to the Chosen that wouldn't normally seek it out. Um and just have a good time with them and open up discussion that way. Again, I'm not sure if I will make it to theaters, but I just wanted to make sure that you are aware of that opportunity coming. And so now we're going to dig into today's review of The Chosen Season 1, Episode 1, and the title is Thunder. And here is our quote of the day. Our quote of the day is a conversation that Jesus has with James and John in this episode um, near the beginning of the show. And Jesus says, you wanted to bring fire down from heaven to burn up these five people? Jesus asks James and John, and then they reply, it sounds worse 
when you say it like that. Now, if you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus names James and John the sons of thunder, and it's because they are so passionate about things that they let their passion carry them away. And I I really like how in response to being called the sons of thunder, they say, well, is that a good thing? And Jesus points out that today may be not so good because they, they had this passion that these people should be destroyed for mocking Jesus. And so what Jesus was saying was that even our positive qualities can be turned negative if we are imperfect humans. So I really liked that. I really resonate with the way that they started the episode because it's John writing down notes for what will become the Gospel of John and then, of course, carry on through the epistles and the revelation. But right now he's focused on putting together his narrative, and he wants to do that because all of the principal players are together, and so he wants to get down their stories before, as he says, they get spread out through the whole earth. Of course, he doesn't know where any of them will be going. He just knows that God will have a plan that will probably spread them out. And so he's starting to interview the different people and ask them about what their observances were for following Jesus. And then um, after the flash forward, we go back to the the quote-unquote present day of the series, and they are in a region of Samaria. If you remember, if you watched season one, you know that it ended with the woman at the well, so now they are in a region of Samaria, and it's even mentioned, I think, on that episode about how the people should avoid... Um, Samaria, but Jesus knew that he needed to go there. Why? Because the woman at the well was waiting for him. And then, of course, she tells everybody, and then they come out and see Jesus, and they say, we believe because we've heard from him ourselves, and we believe that he is the Christ. And so a bunch of people came to follow Jesus because of that. And before I get much farther into my review, I just want to share with you a short clip from that episode and the word was with God and the darkness covered the face of the deep and the word was God then God said let there be light and there was light he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let me just say, 
going forward that I love the Word of God. And I'm very sensitive to portrayals of the Word of God that are true to the source material. You know, whenever you're watching a movie based on a book, you want the source material to be well represented on film. And that is so much more important with The Chosen than any other series to date because you're dealing with the Holy Scriptures. So, those of you who have been listening to the podcast for any length of time, you know that I like to do one-person narratives, and I like to spin a very engaging story, one-person narrative, about important people in the Bible, mostly, so far, from the stories of the Passion Week. I've done... Uh, narratives of Simon of Cyrene. I did a narrative about Peter. I did a narrative about John. Um, And in each of those cases, I used uh, what I sometimes term a sanctified imagination because I, I did my research and I wove together a story that included all the important biblical facts, but in a very well written hopefully, riveting narrative. And I really feel like that's the approach that Dallas Jenkins takes with The Chosen. So, near the beginning of this episode, you see James and John working in a field, and they're plowing the field and then planting it. And they're not exactly sure why they're doing it. They were just asked by Jesus to do it as they're doing it. Um, They're speculating, well, maybe it's for weary travelers, uh, to get some food, and so, but as they finish, they realize that it is the property of a lame man, and that in fact Jesus had them plant this field so that the man and his family would have food. Uh, another significant thing that happens in this first episode of season two is, in the end of season one, season eight, Nicodemus. Um, is not yet ready to become a follower of Christ. Of course, we know that he later does become a follower of Christ, but at this point in the narrative, he's not ready. But he does leave them a bag of gold, money that they can use on their journey. Now, we don't read of that happening in the text, but it is a plausible thing, because later we find that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea stood up against the Sanhedrin and were not consenting to the death of Jesus. So they were supporters, even if they were closet supporters. And so we see them using this money as they are traveling, and they're in Samaria, and Jesus says, we need to prepare a meal. So um, then Peter organizes, and they all buy food for this meal, and um, they are making their purchases. And then once they've met up with Jesus having made their purchases, then Jesus goes to this man who owns the field and says, I'd like to come over to your house for dinner tonight. And the man says, I have no food for you, let alone for my own family. We're going to die soon because we don't have resources. And Jesus says, that's all taken care of. Jesus shows him all the food that his disciples have purchased 
And one thing that really clicked with me, again, this is not a story that is found in the narrative of Scripture, but, but one thing that really clicked with me about the lesson is that God says, I want to have fellowship with you. And then often we say, but God, I'm nothing. But God, I don't have anything to bring. Remember his first interaction with Peter when Peter said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said, fear not, Peter. For from now on, you will catch men. See, Jesus knew that who Peter was. Jesus knows our failures. Jesus knows that we don't have anything to offer. But he says, give me what you have. And in the case of this story, open up your home to me and my disciples. And I will provide the food. See, when Jesus enters into a relationship with us, he does not just say, oh, I want to be a friend of yours. He says, I want to change your life from the inside out. I want to make it possible for you to live a godly life. That is, I think, a really exciting part of this story. Then, as Jesus is um, talking to this man, he says, I want to hear your story. Which, again, is a reflection of what Jesus did throughout the New Testament. One of the things I've always liked about Jesus is he very rarely asked a yes or no question. There's a few of them in there. But generally, the questions that Jesus asked required a long answer. Because he wants relationship with us. Because he wants us to articulate our inmost feelings, even though he knows it all. I mean, let's let's stop to consider that for a second. God knows everything about us, and yet he wants to hear from us and have conversations with us and have fellowship with us. If you met a friend for coffee, and all you did was ask each other a series of yes or no questions, and that was the extent of your conversation, would you have fun? No. The reality is that you want more. I want more. When we sit down to have coffee with a friend, we're doing so because we're prepared to have a longer conversation. And I truly believe that that's the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. And I loved the way that the chosen brought that out. And so what happens through the course of this conversation that Jesus has with this gentleman is he basically finds out that this gentleman, well, I should say we find out because he knew, because he knows all things. But, we find out through the course of this conversation that this gentleman was a robber who robbed the man who was taken care of by the Good Samaritan because he didn't have enough food for his family. So he's like, I'm going to rob this man. And then 
when he was taking off on the man's horse, he fell off and broke his leg and has been walking with a limp ever since. And Jesus assures him that the man in question did not die. And he's like, how can you know that? And Jesus is like, I know. And in that simple exchange, you get the impression, the picture that Jesus knows all things. And that is definitely something that is brought out in Scripture. When we read that Jesus didn't need to be told about the hearts of men because he knew everything about the hearts of men. And then after um, the conversation, then the man and his wife go to bed and um, Jesus and his followers move on. And the next morning when they wake up, Jesus is kind of chuckling in his bed. One of the disciples asked him, well, why are you so full of joy this morning? And Jesus says, I have a feeling that the family we ate with last night is having a very good morning. And it clicks with one of the disciples, hey, you can even heal from a distance, right? And again, this isn't a particular event mentioned in Scripture, but I love the way that Jesus shows mercy and he gives that guy back the ability to walk and the ability to work his fields. But isn't it interesting in this story that he gave him the means to survive and then said, I'm going to heal you so that you can have sustainability. And I just think there's some really good pictures in this episode of the way God works. And then the episode wraps with John still trying to figure out how am I going to begin my gospel? You know, he says near the beginning of the episode that he wants to start with the beginning. And so there's a sequence where Jesus is asked to read from the Torah in the synagogue which again was something that he did in the scriptures. And he decides to read from Genesis chapter one in this narrative. And it's at that point that John realizes that he wants to start from the beginning of the world. And you hear John chapter one being recited in the background in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it's just a really powerful moment to wrap up the episode. And I just, I really like the way this first episode came together and the way that they wove stuff. Again, they were true to the biblical narrative. They didn't change any major biblical events, but they just used some, some sanctified creativity to weave a story that was just very exciting. And so if you haven't checked out The Chosen, I would just encourage you, please do so. It's it's just so encouraging. And it's the whole story of The Chosen and how it came together is very encouraging as well. Dallas is a very humble man who simply wants to get his project out there. From the very beginning, The Chosen has been a completely free uh, offering. He never um, 
charges for it on the app. He never pursued a theatrical release until the Christmas special that he's doing this year. He just wanted people to be able to see The Chosen and to be impacted by it. And what's really awesome is that every time you get on The Chosen app, you are given an opportunity to pay it forward. And they have different increments of payment that you can do um, to pay for a certain number of streams for people to watch it. And when you do that, then people will get a message saying that a certain person paid for this stream, or if you want to make a donation anonymously, you can do that. And so it's really encouraging to see the body of Christ working together to get this message out. And again, it kind of comes down to creating discussion points. Because not everybody that watches The Chosen is necessarily going to just, as soon as they watch an episode, um, you know, fall down on their knees and become a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. But by watching these episodes and by getting them out there in this dramatic way, then there can be discussions that started and say, well, how did you like the chosen? And and they could say, well, this was interesting about it. And then you could say, well, do you know that that's a true story about a true savior who truly came to die for you? And to me, that's really exciting because as a podcaster, that's been my goal from day one to make sure that people know that Jesus loves them that he died for them, and that he has a plan for their lives if they submit to him. And so I'm I'm really excited whenever someone else takes the initiative to draw people to the Lord Jesus. And I truly believe that The Chosen is a great vehicle for that. Now, I said this last year, uh, when I did my third episode review, and it was totally an imagined narrative. There really wasn't any Bible stories represented, and I I struggle more with those episodes um, because I really do feel like you need to be faithful to the biblical narrative. But as I said, even in some of the things that were quote unquote made up through sanctified imagination, um, taught really good lessons. Because Jesus is the one who says, uh, will you allow me in to sup with you? In Revelation, you know, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man enter in, I will come into him and will sup with him. But he doesn't just say, can I come over and sup with you? He provides the banquet. We read in the scriptures, he leads me to his banqueting table. This story that went forth in the first episode of The Chosen Season 2, Thunder, really reminded me of when David invited Mephibosheth to the castle. And even though he was a son of Saul, by virtue of Jonathan, he gave him 
property. He gave him servants to run the property. And he said, you will eat at my table continually. He gave those things to his enemies. And I couldn't help notice the parallel in this episode of Jesus saying, not only do I want to come over to your house, to the gentleman in this episode, and have fellowship with you, but I'm going to provide the sustenance. And I'm sure they ate better that night than they would have without him there. And I think that's the biggest lesson that I draw from this episode is that no matter what we may think we have, the greatest blessings come from our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. I hope that it has encouraged you and that if it has, you will share it with family and friends. I'm really excited about episodes coming up. We are going to launch into our holiday programming with Thanksgiving and Christmas upon us very soon. I still don't know exactly what form that's going to take. So if you have any ideas, please feel free to contact me with the contact information that's about to roll at the end of the show. I would be very grateful for any input you may give, and I will let you know as things develop when I will be taking requests for your input. I've, I've said for so many years on this show that the best shows are when we get a lot of input. And I just get really excited about having created a platform where other people can share what God has done in their lives. And so as we move into this season of Thanksgiving followed by Christmas, that is what I am most excited about. Uh, we will probably review another chosen episode next week and then we will launch into our holiday programming and we will see what kind of exciting things God provides for that but I hope that you will be along with us for the ride if you appreciated this episode could you please stop by iTunes or wherever you are listening and give us a rating and review it really does help and I'm really encouraged whenever I get feedback you can also email me with the email address, as I said earlier, andrew at speakingforhim.com. That's andrew at speakingthenumberforhim.com. My contact information is going to roll again at the end of the show, so please take note of that. And with all that being said, I will simply end by saying, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 